I asked on Twitter this morning, where do you listen to the yeah. ProBlogger podcast? And I have people, you know, on my drive to work, yes. while I'm washing the dishes, while I'm in bed, while I'm in the shower, yep. all kinds of stuff I don't really want to think too much about. But um. <laughs> Hey, this is Shana Jocelyn-Sams from CliffLifestyle.com. And you are listening to our friend Ash Roy at ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Thanks for tuning in to the Productive Insights Podcast. This episode is the first part of a two-part series where I had the opportunity to speak to a prolific content marketer in every sense of the word. The conversation ranged from podcasting and Periscope all the way through to content completion. The first part of this series focuses largely on podcasting, Periscope and Facebook Live and a few other rich media tools. And the second half focuses more on content completion. Now, another quick thing before we get into the episode As you may know from previous episodes, I'm currently offering a done-for-you podcasting setup service. The podcasting service includes understanding your target audience, coming up with a good name for your podcast, artwork that stands out in iTunes, a good intro and outro bumper for professional sound, integration with your website, and I'll even help you with your first three episodes and walk you through the process from scratch to getting them published. I will also give you all the templates that you need to invite guests to the podcast, share techniques on how to get key influencers onto your podcast. Now, I am working with a very limited number of people on the service. I do need to speak to you to understand exactly how a podcast will help your business. So you will need to book in a free 30-minute consultation with me before we can decide whether or not it's a good idea for us to work together. So if you are interested in the service, go ahead and send me an email on ash at productiveinsights.com and we can discuss next steps. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is one of the true pioneers of content marketing. He was one of the first people in the world to use blogging as an authority building tool, and he's mentored some of the world's leading content marketers today. Recently, I've had the honor of sharing the stage with him at Superfast Business Live in Sydney back in March, and later we enjoyed some really interesting conversations over dinner. He's the author of the book, Secrets to Blogging Your Way to a Six-Figure Income, and has founded one of the most successful blogs in the world. I'm delighted to welcome Darren Rouse, the founder of problogger.net. Welcome, Darren. Thank you it's to be chatting with you again, although no wine in our hands this time. <laughs> <laughs> no wine, Yes. But, you know, we'll, we'll make the best of it. That's so, right. Darren, I've got to say, I really enjoyed your talk at Superfast Business Live. You really gave us some fantastic pieces of advice, some of which were very simple. So I'll touch on those a little bit later. But before we go into the details of our conversation, which is going to be mainly around content marketing and probably focused a bit on written content, could you share with our listeners who are largely professionals and business owners, why content marketing and specifically blogging is so critical to authority building and lead generation? Yeah, it's a great question. There's really a heap of benefits, you know, ranging from, you know, it's great for your search engine optimization and some of those sorts of things. But really, I guess for me, it boils down to that Bob Berg quote that everyone seems to love to use at conferences that, you know, all things being equal, people do business with and refer business to 
people that they know, like, and trust. And for me, the blog, you know, I've been blogging now since 2002. So daily production of content that helps people and that serves people and that changes their life in some way has enabled me to be known and bizarrely liked um, and then trusted (laughs) as well. I think, you know, I mean, it's like that in real life as well. When you meet someone for the first time, you know them, but you don't necessarily like and trust them straight away. But as they add value into your life over the long haul, you begin to like and trust them. And I think, you know, a blog, when you are producing content that does change their life in some way, then it opens up that relationship. And for me, really, all the good things that have come out of blogging for me has come out of a sense of my readers knowing me and, and liking me and trusting me and, and feeling like they're in a relationship with me, even to the point where I meet them for the first time at a conference and they're very familiar with me and they they talk to me like we've shared a journey together. I don't know if you've ever been on a trip with someone, you just have this sense of camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And I think you know that production of content and um, input into people's life really does build that camaraderie and, and friendship on some levels. Oh, no question. And, yeah, and that really opens up all kinds of possibilities in terms of business. And I think that's if you have someone, a potential client come to you and they're already warm to you, they know you, like you and trust you and they feel like you know them. Mm-hmm. And that's the the flip side of this. When you produce content, you have the ability to show people that you know them, you yes. know their pain, you know their dreams and you like them as well and that you trust them. By telling them your story, you show them that you trust them and that's where it gets very powerful. So, yeah, all these amazing tools like blogging and podcasting and YouTube enable us to do all of those types of things. Cool. Well, you know, you mentioned this when we were having dinner as well, that Bob Berg came up with a no like, and trust concept. And I actually didn't know that. I recently interviewed him in episode 72 of my podcast. He didn't even mention that when I interviewed him. So, wow, I've had the honor of speaking to the guy who's come up with a concept of no like, and trust. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I really liked what you said about content being an opportunity, not just for your listeners to get to know you, but you as a content creator to demonstrate that you know your listeners. Mm -hmm. And I can say firsthand that that is something you actually did successfully at Supervised Business Live because after watching your presentation, I did feel more connected to you as a content creator. Mm-hmm. And that actually segues really nicely into a couple of things that resonated with me that you talked about at the event. One of them was understanding your before and after audience avatar. So people keep mm-hmm. talking about your audience avatar, but what I really liked that was different that you said was think about your audience before they consume your content and then the transformation you're going to deliver to them and where they end up after they consume your content. And that to me was absolute gold as a content creator. Another one that I really liked was you talked about content completion. Now, the number of articles I can think of <laughs> that I have started that I never finished, that right there was an absolute gold mine of content. And all of us content creators are always scrounging around for content outside when we forget to look inside our own computers. And there's a whole plethora of possible content ideas that are sitting there. So that was great. And another one I really liked was about creating an event around your content. So if you care to talk about any or all of those a little bit more, that would be fantastic. Yeah, so I think the before and after avatar one is very powerful. And most people who are bloggers have been taught to build an avatar, build a persona, get to know their reader, and that's an incredibly powerful thing to do. The more you know about your reader, the better position you're in 
to create content that is going to serve them better. You're going to be able to find them and promote yourself to them better. You'll be able to build community with them and you'll be able to monetize better as well. But what most people don't think about is the journey they're trying to take their readers on. And, you know, in, in essence, what we're doing by creating an avatar is creating the before shot. We're understanding who our reader is when we first meet them. But what I found to be particularly powerful is to think about where you want to take your reader. Mm-hmm. The journey you want to take your reader on really is more important than what they look like when they start. And what they look like when they start is important, but you know what they look like when they're finished with you, mm. where you take them, the way you're going to change their life is even more important. If you're changing someone's life, they're going to come back tomorrow and every day and they'll bring everyone they know with them who you, who they think you can help as well. And so that's where a blog becomes very powerful. So, you know, describe them where they are now and then describe them where you want to take them. And then you can start to break that down even further by describing the process, that, the journey that you need to take your readers on. So, um, for my photography blog, the example I gave at Superfast Business was that my readers are in automatic mode when they mm-hmm. first meet me and I want to give them full creative control of their camera. That's the journey I want to take them on. Right. And so I'm able to then brainstorm all the things they need to know f- to get from point A to point B, which pretty much identifies the content I need to create. And uh, I did that exercise and came up with 200 things that people need to do or learn, understand to get from A to B. They were my first 200 posts. So mm-hmm. if you're ever struggling to come up with an idea of what to write about or speak about in a podcast, do that sort of exercise. It's very powerful. And speaking of podcasts, Darren, congratulations on having recently hit your 100th episode. You only started your podcast barely a few months ago, long after I started mine, and you've already hit 100. So that's awesome. Well done, man. <laughs> Thanks. I had the advantage of doing a daily show for the first month, which yes. got, got me 30 of them out of the way. Yes. And you actually, that's another good point, right? You used your 31 days to a better blog content and essentially talked around that and mm. created podcast episodes out of each one of those, which was yeah. great. And that speaks to that other point you were mentioning before is, you know, create events out of your content. Yes. I found readers really respond well when you say, I'm going to, for this week or for this month or this period of time, take you on a particular journey. It's got a starting point and an ending point. They jump on board with that a lot more than this blog is just about this thing, which will go on indefinitely. So, you know, a week on a particular topic, a series of posts or you know, we're going to do this thing together. I think it's very powerful. Someone like Dan Norris has, I think it's called the seven day startup, mm-hmm. which I think is just brilliant. He does it every now and again for a whole week. People have to come up with something that they're going to launch by yes. the end of the week. And so it gets everyone working together for this intense burst on the thing that you're teaching them. And people just sign up for that kind of stuff a lot more than just general, you know, every day I'm writing a blog post and it will generally help you. So yeah, events is very uh, powerful. And that's what I did to launch the podcast and it really kickstarted things for Mm. us. I think maybe it's the finality and the time boundedness of the event around the content that makes it so powerful. I've had Dan Norris on the show three times actually, and I've actually created a series out of one of the podcast episodes, which went for a very long time. And I did get a higher engagement rate for that two-part series. So Mm. I'm actually starting to think more along the lines of creating podcast series where Mm. I have guests back and, you know, have like part one, part two, part three, 
or at least if not have the part one, part two, part three, at least connect the discussion in my second interview with the same guest to the previous interview mm. in some way and develop some continuity there. And yeah. James Tramco is doing that very effectively at the moment as well. Yeah, and it can be done in pretty much any medium you want, whether it's you know podcasting or even live streaming. I've got the idea at the moment for a week of Facebook Live updates, so live streaming updates every morning at the same time. I'm going to give you a tip on this particular topic, and then we will have a discussion about it for the rest of the day. And I think you know you could use that type of approach pretty much with any medium at all. Oh, cool. And are you finding a significantly higher engagement rate when you do it that way? Or have you measured it and seen how much more it is than the standalone content? Yeah, for sure. The first time I did 31 Days to Build a Better Blog back in, I think it was 2006 or five or something like that, my subscriber numbers doubled in wow. the first month. And I think the key there is that when you do an event, you're building anticipation. Yes. And you're giving someone a reason to subscribe. Comment numbers went up. Traffic went up, it just impacted every aspect of the site and people shared that a lot as well. You know, they were three days into this event and suddenly we're starting to see results. They were then telling other people about it as well. People like to share experiences with people. So, yeah, there's lots of different metrics improve as a result of an event. Cool. Okay, let's talk a bit about your view on content marketing and how it's evolved. I really love asking this question of other content experts. I asked the same question of Rand Fishkin when I interviewed him and Eric Enger, and I really am keen to hear your thoughts on it. So how do you think content marketing has evolved over the most recent years, and where do you see it headed in the future? And specifically, I would love to hear what you think about video content. So some folks believe the video content is going to grow to 70% of all traffic in coming years. I'd just like to know what you think of it and just content marketing generally, where do you see it headed? Yeah, sure. It's it's an interesting one. I'm not really sure where content marketing started. And so, you know, originally, I guess it emerged from blogs and so probably was fairly text-based. Yeah. I don't see text as going away. Mm-hmm. I think whether it's podcasting or video, there's a ceiling as to how much of that content people can consume. Mm-hmm. And it's a lower ceiling than with text. There's still a ceiling with text. You can only scan so much content in yes. a day. But I think audio, video, it takes more attention to consume it, I yes. think, or to consume it well particularly video. I think audio has the advantage of being, you know, I asked on Twitter this morning, where do you listen to the ProBlogger podcast? And I have people, you know, on my drive to work, while I'm washing the dishes, while I'm in bed, while I'm in the shower, all kinds of stuff I don't really want to think too much about. But, (laughs) um, you know, they're doing it while they're doing something else and it's helping them to pass that time, often with a menial job. And video, you can do some of that with video, but, you know, you can't drive to work and watch a video. Hopefully, you you shouldn't be anyway. So I don't think text is going away. I think there's pros and cons for each thing. I think one of the massive changes that's happened in the last 12 months has been live interactions. Again, there's a real ceiling for how much live interaction you can consume through Periscope or Facebook Live, but I think that's certainly opening up really amazing opportunities, particularly, you know, as I was talking about before, you know, that no like trust thing. I've Mm. seen the acceleration of that process through using Periscope and live video on Facebook. I I notice 
significant jumps in the amount of comments on my blog post from people who watch my live streams. They feel like they know me. They feel like they've had an experience and they have, and I know them. I know their faces if you use a tool like Blab, but I know their names and I see their comments. So I think that's a real opportunity at the moment, which, you know, just makes things accelerate even faster. But I don't think text is going away. And and there's certainly different personality types, I think, will respond to the different mediums. So it's a tricky one because there's only so many hours in a day to create this content and you've got Mm. to make some choices about Am I just going to podcast? And that mm. may, that's a totally legitimate thing to do. Or am mm. I just going to blog? It comes partly down to you and your style, how you present best, but also your niche and your readers, how they want to consume content. And I think the best thing you can probably do is do some experiments, see which gets traction, and then to focus on, you know, maybe two or three at the most. Maybe just one is enough. Yeah. 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 Some really interesting thoughts that. Rand Fishkin shared about this was he thinks that mobile content consumption is growing and not at the expense of desktop, which actually touches another related point you made, which is people are consuming podcast content. And that is, by the way, growing faster than the other forms of content because of exactly what you said. People are consuming it while driving, while in the shower, while falling asleep, while washing the dishes. And interestingly, I believe that it's probably the professionals that are consuming it more because this was previously dead time for them. They couldn't consume content while they were in the car or while they were at the gym, but now they can still continue their learning and they tend to be more interested in developing themselves in terms of skills and learning. And so they're dipping into other areas like online marketing or, or you know, how do I grow my business with podcasting or whatever it is. So I'm finding that podcasting is getting a lot of cut through in terms of driving inbound leads. How have you found it with podcasting since you've started your podcast, have you found it to drive a lot of customers to your business? Not so many customers yet. I feel like I'm still in the early days and I haven't tried to sell too much on it at this point. We'll be promoting our event that we run for Aussie bloggers Mm -hmm. on it in the next month or so. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that converts. What I've noticed with the podcast is that when I meet people in person, more people are saying, I listen to your podcast than I read your blog. And when they say that, they talk to me in a more personal way as well. And I think, you know, you've probably experienced as well when you listen to someone's voice, yes. they're in your head. Yes. <laughs> it's a conversation. I, as I listen to podcasts, I talk back to the person in my mind and I'm yes. like, that's not right or that is right. Yeah. And you, I think it's a more of a relationship than just reading. So I think, you know, it, again, it accelerates the no like trust aspect of things. I think the challenge with podcasting is that because people are on a mobile usually and they're not in front of a desktop or they're doing something else, they're less likely to take action in that yes. moment. So they're not going to click on or go and visit your show notes as much mm. as we all think that they might. They're not going to go and buy your product. And so that's the challenge. And so for me, I think you need to use the podcast alongside something else. And for me, it's email. I think mm-hmm. email really is king. You need to get those podcast listeners onto your email so that you can then send them an email that has a link to the show notes, that has a link to your product that you want to sell them. That's the challenge that I don't think we've solved yet with podcasts is how to how to get people to take action. 
And mm. that's a challenge that perhaps on video we don't have because you, you're there on the device, yes. looking at the device, you're giving it the attention. Yes. Um, so, yeah, podcasting, I, I'm not quite sure what the solution is to that yet. That's an interesting point. I guess at the moment it's much more of an authority-building tool and a trust-building tool because I have had quite a few listeners say to me, it's a very intimate medium. They feel like they know you personally because, as you said, you know, you're in their ears. And I remember John Lee Dumas said that it's the first... I want to make sure I get this right. I think he said it's the first sense that you come in contact with as a human being. We listen to our mother's voices even when we are fetuses, you know, before we even come out into the world. And so it's one of the most intimate mediums in his view because of that. So that was an interesting point. To your earlier point about written content not going anywhere, I did speak to Joe Polizzi, the founder of Content Marketing Institute, and he said exactly the same thing. And I'm quite bullish on written content in the long term too. I think that written content solves a different problem to audio and video content in that written content is scannable. You know, mm-hmm. if I don't want to read everything, if I don't want to consume the whole piece of content, I can just scan the subheads, assuming the content is well written with subheads and a good intro and a good closing. Then I'll just scan it and go, okay, do I want to read more or not? You don't really have that option, at least not yet with video and audio, unless, of course, you're transcribed, which is another very smart thing to do. If you're producing video and audio, it's a good idea to have a transcription service. Darren, tell me a little bit about this event that you're going to be having. I'd love to share it in the show notes. Yeah, sure. So we started it. This will be our seventh annual event, and it started seven years ago as an event for 100 bloggers and a bit of an experiment, really. We did it in Melbourne just over in a single room for a whole day, And every year it's sort of grown by about 100 people. Last year we had 750 Australian bloggers and a few from around Asia and New Zealand and a few fly in from America for it. Yep. And we now do two whole days. In in fact, this year it will spill out onto the two days before and after as well. And we have three or four tracks this year running simultaneously. We bring in people like Rand Fishkin and Chris Ducker. So we've had some pretty amazing speakers come out. And then the vast majority of our speakers are Aussies as well. So if you're coming from overseas, you kind of get the Aussie flavor as well. And it's just an amazing time. Our audience is quite diverse in terms of the topics that they cover. We've got fashion bloggers, food bloggers, business bloggers, quite a few businesses now coming. And yet our audience is 95% women. (laughs) Wow. I don't know why that happened. I don't think it's me. I'm pretty (laughs) sure it's not me. Um, I suspect it's just who's blogging at the moment, particularly in some of our our larger niches as well. So, yeah, it's great. If people do want to find out more, it's at problogger.events.com. And we're launching tickets on the 27th of April this year. Okay, cool. Well, I'll be sure to post a link in the show notes. It's probloggerevents.com. And if you're listening, definitely head over there and check it out. And they can buy a ticket directly from that link, can they? They will be able to on the 27th of April. We have an early bird price that's just for that 12 hours. It's my birthday and then it sort of slowly increases in price over the the coming months until they sell out. And we have sold out in hours in the past. We've got a bigger venue this time. So we can uh, hopefully we'll be able to accommodate everyone. And it's in Melbourne? Uh, It's on the Gold Coast. Uh, We moved up there three years ago. Ah, cool. Let's talk a bit about your view of how you see podcasting in your general marketing mix in the coming years and where do you see the role of video in your blog and in in ProBlogger? 
Yeah, so until July last year, ProBlogger was 99% text. I did the occasional talking head video and then uploaded them to YouTube or Facebook or whatever it might be. But I found it took me a lot of work to get those videos together. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and not very talented in putting them together. And so uh, it was mainly text and that. And then I started podcasting last year. And fell in love with it. My first love in communication was public speaking. That's Mm -hmm. what I had most experience with. And so I felt like it took me back to that, which was really refreshing. Having blogged about the same topic since 2004, it was nice to be able to speak about it. And and that brought a lot of life for me. It's opened up a whole new audience to me and has connected with part of the audience who perhaps had become a little bit stale who didn't enjoy text, but it has also polarized some of my readers who only want text. And so that's one of the things that we're kind of working through at the moment. We're moving towards transcribing and, and giving them text as well. Video for me, I'm still not sold on the idea of producing a whole heap of videos, but I guess most of the video for me has come through live streaming. Did daily periscopes for Mm. a few months and that was, again, it was really energizing. I was able to repurpose some of the podcasts into those or um, test ideas for the podcast on Mm. those as well. So it helped me to develop my podcast. But in more recent times, I've moved over to Facebook Live. My suspicion is that Whilst there's certainly advantages of Periscope, I think Facebook's audience is just so vast that yeah. it probably makes sense, particularly because I've got an audience on Facebook pages already to yeah. to use that medium. Again, I'm using that live video for a number of things. One, to test ideas that I might be writing about or doing in the podcast. Two, it's more community-based things, so more discussion, Q&A. I found um, some of my most popular ones have been ask me anything type ones yep. where I've just said, just pitch me any question you want and I'll try and get through as many as I can. Yeah, they've probably been the best things. And then I, the other thing I've done with Facebook Live is repurposed some of my best blog posts. So, yeah, just taken the main points of old blog posts and and delivered them again there. So it's not necessarily creating a whole heap of new content. It's fairly easy to do to be able to Mm. work through an old blog post. And yet it, again, opens up a whole new audience as well, people who do appreciate that visual audio type learning. Yeah. And how are people asking you the questions? Are they asking it mainly through the comments section in Facebook or how do the questions come to you? Yeah, on Facebook Live, it comes, they will be on my Facebook page and they leave a comment. And so for them, it's a very familiar way of asking a question. They're they're used Mm. to leaving comments. For you as the video presenter, they scroll up as you're doing it. And so you do see them live. You can go back to them later after the video is finished and then just reply to comments Mm -hmm. as normal. The good thing about Facebook Live is that I found the replay views bigger than the live views, and so the the video lives on, whereas with Periscope, I found if people weren't there on the live, mm. they weren't usually going to pick up on the replays. Yeah. Uh, even though they did live there for 24 hours, they weren't really using it in that way. And so I did a Facebook Live last week that had, I think, about a 1,000 people watched it live, which was pretty amazing. Yeah. But about 4,000 people watched it afterwards. Wow. And so it really lives on. And I guess they could continue to watch that forever because it doesn't disappear as it does on Periscope. Well, I haven't actually used Facebook Live yet, so it's definitely something I need to check out. Yeah, it's um, it's great. Um, and it, 
it's going to work better if you do have followers on your Facebook page already. It's going to be hard. And perhaps that's one of the advantages of Periscope is that it does, Periscope does seem to surface new people as well. I think it's in their best interest to get people to view mm. the first Periscope that people do. And so um, I've seen a number of people really build their audience on Periscope. Mm. So they both, both have their advantages. It's an interesting platform. I did a little bit of work on Periscope and then I deliberately had to draw myself away from it because I started to find a lot of my time was getting sucked into Periscope and I wasn't working on building my business enough. But one of the challenges that I find with Periscope is that they give you love hearts, but you can't pay bills with love hearts. And <laughs> that's that's yeah. one of the challenges. I appreciate that it's just a representation of how popular you are. But the hardest thing about Periscope, at least when I was playing with it a few months ago, was converting that Periscope audience into an email subscriber. Even today, despite all of the technology and everything, I believe email subscribers are the best way to continue delivering value to your audience in a reliable way, which you have some control of, as opposed to any other medium where you know you just put up your Periscope or your Facebook Live and basically they show up if they show up and if they don't, they don't. You don't have access to actually giving them the value through an email in the inbox. Yeah, I think the people I saw doing best with Periscope had opt-ins designed for their Periscopes. And so they were doing them almost as webinars at times. So, oh, yes. And they were repeating them. So they might you know, have honed a, a five-point presentation and go to this link and get my opt-in. And that was probably the best way that I saw people actually driving people somewhere else. Yeah, but it, it's a challenge. And I guess a lot of people I saw doing well on Periscope actually were podcasters as well. And so I think okay. maybe there is an opportunity there because you're giving people a taste of the type of content they might get on a podcast. Oh, yes. The other challenge I think with Periscope and with any live streaming is it's very hard to get the balance right of interacting with the live viewer mm and not disrupting the experience of the replay viewer. So you want to acknowledge the comments yes. that are coming up, but you don't want them to take over and destroy the experience of someone watching later on um, yes. because you're just saying, hey, they're you and hey, they're you and you're funny. And mm. um, yeah, that's a challenge. But and that comes with experience, I think. And for me, it was really about, okay, for these 10 minutes, I'm going to just talk to you. And then at the end of that, I'm going to take questions. And okay. that, was, uh, that was sort of the expectation I built with my audience. That's a sensible way to do it. So you try and cater to both parties, right? You've got your live viewers. They just there for the content. They receive the content first, questions at the end. And then your replay viewers don't have to sit through all the live viewer interaction, which could be annoying if you're not on the actual live call. So That's right. Yeah. So you see Periscope and Facebook Live still being a big part of your communication and your business growth plan? Yeah, I, I'm not going to invest everything into it, man. I think, you know, this is the danger, you know, shiny object syndrome kicks <laughs> in and I've seen many bloggers give up blogging to do, you know, all of these types of things. You know, I saw bloggers give up blogging to tweet. Mm, <laughs> that's like, insane. It's crazy. <laughs> that's but, just insane. You know, I, can, I understand that. So I never give up what I'm doing. It's, you know, 5% of my time I okay. play with the new things and try and find a way to incorporate them in. But really, it's all about trying to build the home base, which is for me, my blog and the podcast, I guess now as well. And they're, 
we're we're in the process of moving the blog from problogger.net to problogger.com and integrating it more with the podcast as well. So it's becoming a bit more of a home base, but I'm at the present living in multiple domains, which is not a fun place to live. Right. That must be challenging. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that first part of this two-part series with Darren Rouse. Be sure to tune into the second part where Darren and I talk about content completion and how it's probably the low-hanging fruit when it comes to us content creators. There are some fantastic tools that Darren has shared, and I can't wait to share them with you through that episode. So be sure to tune in. Now, if you enjoyed this episode with Darren, you'd probably enjoy episode number six with Chris Garrett from Copyblogger, where we talk about how to use content marketing to win online, including a simple five-day plan to get you started in a week. Episode number nine, which we call Blind Man Driving. There's an interesting story behind this. That was with Kevin Rogers, who's a comedian turned copywriter. Episode number 21 on Facebook advertising with Keith Krantz. Episode number 23, which is a tutorial that I created on content marketing for business success. Episode number 29, which talks about SEO and how to integrate it with your content marketing strategy. That was with David Jennings. Episode number 38 with Rand Fishkin on how to create great SEO-friendly content plus key trends in search. Episode number 41, which was all about Mobile Geddon by Eric Enger, who talks a lot about SEO, but from a mobile responsiveness perspective. Episode number 57 with Lisa Myers, the CEO of Verve Search, where she talks about creative content mindset and her favorite Star Wars quote. And episode number 71 with Rohit Bhargava, the author of Lycanomics and Non-Obvious, on the value of content curation over content creation. He talks about how content curation is a very important skill. And I think there's some fantastic points he's made there. So definitely check that one out as well. Now, I look forward to speaking to you in part two of this episode with Darren Rouse. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment 